Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. In episode 66, Oscar continues his discussion with the former governor of Kentucky, John Y. Brown. After the Kentucky Colonels, Governor Brown decided to step into the NBA with the Buffalo Braves and the Boston Celtics. We'll hear about some of the decisions made concerning the Braves and the ownership of the Boston Celtics. John Y. Brown will share his comments about former Kentucky Wildcats and Kentucky Colonels, Dan Issel, Louis Dampier, Mike Pratt, and the late Frank Ramsey. We'll also hear his thoughts on a few NBA legends as well. Oscar and the former governor will discuss his run for office and some of the decisions that were made during his term concerning the athletic programs, both at the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville. That includes the coaching decisions that were made in the past with the Wildcats football team, the greatest college basketball rivalry in the nation, and the contributions to the University of Louisville, and by no means necessary is the governor finished there. He's the former governor of the state of Kentucky, and he's brutally honest and unfiltered, and he's with Oscar Combs. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, Governor John Y. Brown. But let me get into the Boston Celtics. That's the $2 billion question, okay? Yes. And uh, and you might have done the same thing, all right? Uh, because I, I like owning, I, I swapped the, the Buffalo Braves straight up for the Boston Celtics, okay? And uh, you, I, So you had the upper hand, you just didn't know it. No, I had the upper hand, except for this, that when I, when I bought into the Buffalo Braves, the guy was going to move, Paul Snyder was going to move out of town. They were raising the hell with him. So I called, look, Paul, if you do the right kind of deal with me, I'll be, I'll wear the black hat and you wear the white hat. Oh, I'll come up here and help protect you. He wanted to move to Miami or whatever. And so I got 100% control of the team, only 50%. And so then we had a chance to sell Bob McAdoo for the largest price ever at that time, $2.5 million. And plus he had 800000 deferred comp or whatever. And so when I'm out of the country, he sold Bob McAdoo. I set up the sale, but he wanted to get credit for it. He wanted to sit or stay. But anyway, I had a team with really nothing in it. And then we're going to the league, and I didn't have a place to play uh, at the time. And we had a, and, and David Stern, who was the great commissioner, was a young lawyer. He had the idea that, uh, John, you ought to swap teams with the Boston Celtics because he wants a team in San Diego and, you know, and... Uh, he could take Buffalo there and you keep Boston. Yeah. Because Boston wasn't going to go to the West Coast. No, no. And so we spent 10 days. They had that top lawyer in, in the NFL, 
big shot. And about eight days into it, when the time's running and the season starts in two weeks or whatever, he said, well, it's just like we can do a deal. And I came off my chair and I said, let me tell you whatever your name was. We're going to do this deal. or We're not walking out of this room till we get one done. And we just battled it out and finally got it done. And then Red Arbach had his nose out joint because um, he didn't know about it. Well, it wasn't our fault, you know, it wasn't our place to inform him and put the deal up. It was the owner himself. And so he had sort of a, a bad attitude. And then you go in there, and I like Red. I didn't, I never had to kiss up to anybody before. And maybe in hindsight, I could, but it didn't seem like uh, he was very happy with the new owners. He, yeah, Herb Levine was their owner. Her, yeah, and he was a friend of mine, and we made the deal and all honorably and everything else. Now, now you weren't you weren't exactly the most popular figure in the world among the Boston media, if I remember. Well, no, no, no. They were very that's Red's team, and the problem is if anything went bad, he's going to blame it on the owner. He lost like six owners over a period of like 10 years, okay? And so I was in there, and then they asked me, well, are you going to be involved at all? I said, yeah, I'm going to be involved. Well, they didn't want anybody to be involved. That's Red's team. And I remember Red uh, went and signed a contract with JoJo White for some astronomical amount. At the time, he's 33 years old. And I got upset. I said, you know, this ain't going to work. <laughs> he's going to have my pen to our bank account. And... Uh, but the problem was, it's up there a year. I wasn't going to spend it. Boston's a great city, but I didn't. I'm, I'm a Kentucky boy, and now, I, I don't want to spend time up there and have the responsibility. Now, this of, was just a couple of years before you're back in Kentucky running for governor. No, that's the reason I sold. Okay, you said now there was a Boston writer who did not know at the time you were running for governor, yeah. but wrote a column said, you know what. This guy, John Y. Brown, if he ever became governor of Kentucky, we go. No, he said we would be going back to having 49 states instead of 50 because he would sell it. Oh, is that? He could have. But they're, they're, you know, they, they got more rednecks up there than we got in Kentucky, okay? In all due respect. I mean, they love their sport. But uh, what happened was that I'm getting married, and I realized Phyllis is. Was uh, that your ace in Hohen running for governor? What's that? Mary and Phyllis George. No, our, our minister. In fact, Lincoln was over last night, my son, and showed me a recording of uh, when I was had my heart attack. He had various notables, Larry Townsend, my campaign manager, various people wishing me luck and this, that, and the other. And he had part of the marriage vows of Phyllis and I with Norman Vincent Peale. Who... And, Explain who that is, because well, younger people today would not know him. Well, uh, it happened at Phelps and I, when we are talking about we're going to get married. We both came up with his name at the first seven moment. I had known him through uh, the colonel being involved in some kind of deal that also Norm Vince Peel was. And, uh, From New York City. And, and New York. And we both said we want him to marry us. And we met with him and just fell in love with him. And he... he we had about 800 people at a Dallas wedding. I figured if you have one big one, you might as well have another one just like it. So we had a big wedding. And uh, he, he got through at the end of it. He said, you all are two very talented people. You're now a team. And, and now it's time to go out and serve God and mankind. So we, had, we took that on a honeymoon. Well, we didn't have a home. We didn't know where we were going to live. <laughs> and we looked for a place out in California. 
And Larry kept bugging me, my partner for years, Larry Townsend. That was so instrumental in my whole life and career after KFC. Uh, kept bugging me about running for governor. Well, I brought up the fellas twice. I never talked about running for governor other than at our reception dinner, which our president happened to be there, our current president happened to be there. I wouldn't invite him today, probably. Uh, but uh, we had uh, Julian Carroll and Bob Strauss, who was chairman of the Democratic Party. They had a, what do you call a reception before you get married, a rehearsal dinner. And my dad got up and made a big speech. We had a glass of wine about how old to run for governor. And there's Julian, who's representing Terry McBrayer, was his candidate. And we hadn't really talked about it. I hadn't thought about it a little bit. And on the honeymoon, I brought up the fellas twice. He didn't say anything. So finally, uh, Larry kept bugging me about, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I said, I'll ask her again. So I asked one more time. I wasn't about to force her to come to a new town. And I uh, said, so do you think I'll go back and run for governor? Halfway I was doing it, trying to act like a big shot. You know, she's this big TV person. <laughs> I was some little chicken guy. Uh, and so I said, do you think I'll run for governor? She said, well, why don't you stop talking about it? Just go and do it. So we flew in two days before the deadline. And Larry went around and called 119 people. Oscar, no one said we had any chance to win. And so the more they told us that, we just said, well, we like that challenge. So anyway. I want to ask you just to give me a brief description uh, going back to the ABA days, Boston and Buffalo. I've got a few people here. Just what you remember about them, what they meant to you, uh, and that. And I'll start out with uh, Wendell Cherry. Yeah. Just a line or two. Well, Wendell was the guy that put the team together. He's, he's the one that did the deal with uh, artists, did deal with Dan and Louie. And so it was a hometown team. He did a great job. I have to give him credit. And, and, but I wasn't very active at that. I just went to board meetings and an observer, enjoyed basketball, went to a lot of the games. Mac Storing. Yeah, well, Mac was pretty uh, abrasive, you know, had a lot, big ego. Daughter, his daughter, very successful on uh, ESPN, that I admire. But, uh, you know, he wanted all the credit and, and, and whatever. I just never felt comfortable with him, but I respected him. Joe yeah. Mulaney. Uh, just saw a quiet coach. Uh, he didn't want to work for a woman and needed a bike, and I accept that. That's fine. Hubie Brown. Well, Hubie was probably the best coach maybe ever, and certainly back in the old days. I mean, he was a leader before Pop even. Uh, and, you know, he coached Memphis, coached the Knicks, went in the Hall of Fame, and, and never had a head coaching job except high school. Wayne Embry of Cincinnati. One that advised me, he, for some reason, I just called him with Milwaukee Bucks, and he said, you're not going to like him, but he's a hell of a coach. And so uh, Ellie and I interviewed him and said, this guy, he's a winner, because he was obsessed at, what, 94 feet or whatever on the basketball court. And uh, and, did, and he's the reason that, uh, that, and he's always said the Kentucky Colonels were as good a team as anything in the NBA. So uh, he gave us. He showed him how to win. Artist Gilmore. Just a sweetheart. I mean, you know, he and Dan and Louie are the cream of the crop. They're all just top people. Dan Issel. That's what Dan, you know, if I had a son, uh, I mean, everybody would want a son like Dan. He's great. And even though that I sold him, he came back and campaigned for me. One time I was running for governor. Show you the kind of class he is. Frank Ramsey. Yeah, Frank. Uh, 
is legendary in Kentucky sports about as much as anybody in my memory. And he really sort of lifted our Kentucky basketball to a level that I doubt we've ever sensed with Hagen, Ramsey, Swapless, Bobby Watson. And um, he's a friend of mine. We played a lot of poker together in college. He was always a banker, always paying off an old crumpled dollar bills. He'd never give you the fresh good ones there. So, but he'd always been a longtime friend. I should have pulled him more in to get me to know Red Hardback better because, you know, he was a legend up there. And I just didn't think, I tried to get Jim Oates to come running for me. And if I had, uh, with Boston, with Buffalo, I probably never would have sold out. One of my biggest accomplishments, Frank, is I got him to donate $300 to me three times when I ran for governor. And, you know, he's a banker. He's saved up with everything. But I started to see him uh, pass away a couple of days ago because he's a great Kentuckian. No, but he's always been a longtime friend. I should have pulled him more in to get me to know Red Hardback better because, you know, he was a legend up there. And I just didn't think, I tried to get Jim Oates to come running for me. And if I had, uh, with Boston, with Buffalo, I probably never would have sold out. Mike Pratt. Uh, well, Mike, I just remember the jumping jack and how, how uh, effective he was. I always uh, admired his career, like him as a person, admire him as a person. Louis Dampier. Just a sweetheart. I mean, the most modest guy, humble guy. I was so happy for him to be in the Hall of Fame, I guess, in the last year or two, right? Yes. Larry Conley. Well, Larry, uh, I knew his father, uh, coached up at Ashland, is that right? Mm -hmm. And I uh, always respected him. He's had a great career, too. I mean, we have a lot of these players that are really first-class human beings outside basketball. Cotton Nash. I didn't know him much. He was colorful, sort of like the Dan Issel type, the star of the team, but I didn't, I don't think I ever met him. If I did, I think I met him at Phil Greer's party here not long ago. Jimmy Dan Connor. Uh, Jimmy uh, from, I guess, Heronsburg, Lawrenceburg, Heronsburg? Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, a nice young man, a quality young man. Don't know much about him. I always respected him. Tommy Cron. Tommy was also a gentleman. I remember in Louisville, I got connected somewhere in business. I had somehow, I don't remember exactly where it was. Uh, Alex Grosson. Alex was a sweetheart. I always loved Alex. and. I, I think he came, I don't know if he worked for the Colonels or not. Yeah, he did, one, yeah. one or two years. And I've always liked him and kept that loyalty. I always tried to keep that Kentucky loyalty as best I could. Dr. J. Uh, the best ever, as far as a human being and a talented basketball player. I mean, he taught what real exciting basketball was all about as a player, way before Michael Jordan. And uh, he, and he also, all, always kept his loyalty to the ABA. I remember running to him some event. He came and gave me a big hug, and had a buddy of mine just blew his mind that I knew Dr. J. But he's always been like that. He's always remembers ABA days and been respectful. And he's just an outstanding ambassador for pro basketball. A uh, couple people that work sort of in the front office, David Vance. Yeah, David's like family to us. And was great when working with LA in the basketball and ended up having a great career. I remember Bill May uh, asked me if he should hire him as the head of uh, turf, Turfway up here. And he went to Oklahoma and ran the racetrack down there for the wealthy family that is in the mall business. Lloyd Gardner. Oh, Lloyd, Lloyd. Everybody loves Lloyd because he's, he's kept the history of the Colonels together. 
Yeah, and he became a what state basketball champion, didn't he? You, you, High school. Yes. Yeah. You uh, you played a few games at Memorial Coliseum. Yeah. In the late or not late, but in late in the Colonel's lap, but in right. the mid seventies there. One of the best games I ever saw. Well, uh, probably the same one I saw. You yeah. played Doctor J in the playoffs. Doctor J and and the little guard that we had. Uh, what was his name? That, they kept driving right down the middle. Yes. And I saw him at the Colonel's event a couple of weeks ago on like Derby Day. And he was so thankful because I hired him. I brought him up to Buffalo because I thought he was a hell of a player. And, uh, now, it was gone. The, the league was pretty much gone by the time Rupp Arena was finally built. Yeah. But there was talk about if things had stayed playing a few games at Rupp each year. Uh, you think that would have happened if everything we had stayed? We just couldn't create any interest. I love you. Know, such, and, and I'm part of the reason for that antagonistical feeling between Kentucky and UFL because I'm sort of the one behind getting the game We'll get off. to that later yeah, in okay. the fight. Uh, but it's such a rivalry there. You know, Louisville's like an island to its own, even though it's Kentucky. And there's just that competitive thing between Louisville and Lexington. And the Colonel was a Louisville team. I doubt if it ever would have been embraced like the people love basketball here. I could be wrong. You know, time heals most everything. As your love affair sort of dwindles with basketball, you come back here, you're getting ready to run for governor. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good feel out there in the primary as had, was the days of Democrats back then. You had a feel of four, five, six candidates. Yeah. Uh, what do you recall about that race? Well, Particularly I, the I primary. figured if I was ever going to run, this was the time. I think in that race you had Thelma Stovall, Terry McBrayer, Carol Hubbard, who, uh, oh, well, he was a man of many functions, wasn't he? Yeah, West Kentucky. Uh, George Atkins and Harvey Sloan. Yeah. And, of course, George sort of somewhat bowed out. He did after about a month in, which I think helped us, but I told you earlier, that we did a survey before I announced and 119 people that I knew as my friends said, don't let Johnny run, he doesn't have any chance. And, but I hated politics so much, the more I heard that, the more I liked it. And I only checked one thing, is, is can we still buy TV time? Or is it all sold out? Because you had to have visibility. And we didn't do the usual conventional campaigning to courthouses, courthouses. and uh, Phyllis was a great asset to me nationally. We called her flypaper Phyllis. She'd draw the crowd, and I'd go in and give them the sales pitch. But uh, we were a great team, and she was a great first lady. Uh, and really, if you think about Oscar, the first first lady ever that was active as a first lady, and every first lady since have been active. You, you won the primary by 25,000 votes, and then you ran against Louis Nunn, who had been governor from 67 to 71, beat him 177,000. Mm-hmm. Um, about this time, in uh, 1975, some people will argue was the greatest year of basketball in this state. Kentucky and Louisville both went to San Diego for the Final Four. I was there, yeah. You were there. Yeah, greedy. And the Colonels were winning the ABA championship that year. Yeah. And then in 78, Kentucky won the title. Louisville won the title in 80. Louisville won the title in 80. And the talk was starting to amp up. 
no Kentucky Louisville series. Why not? And you were the governor. Well, the way that I remember distinctly is I was in office a few months, and Bill Sturgill was a cabinet secretary, and he was chairman of the UK. And he was your energy secretary. And he was my energy secretary and a friend, yeah. lifelong family friend. I think he, I think he was actually chairman of the board, wasn't he? He was chairman of the board. Yes. And I said, Bill, I want to accomplish one thing in sports, is I want UK to agree to play Louisville. They never would because they didn't want to give them the limelight, center stage, have that competition. And I felt like the taxpayers of Kentucky were entitled to that. And Louisville had won almost as many championships as UK had done, but they were certainly a top 10 national team. And it wasn't right, and I felt very strong about it. And then I forgot about it. And about three weeks before I leave office, I read in the paper on television that the next day they're having a board meeting. And I said, oh my God, I might be too late. So I called Bill Sturgill. I honestly got the truth. I know you had your, all your stories. This is true. And I called Bill. I said, Bill, you made me a promise. Now, he's a good mountain boy from Hazard, you know. Well, he's actually from over Pike. Most, most of well, his he, career was he, in Hazard. Though. Most of his career. Well, yeah. now, let, let's stop there and back up because we, we jumped a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that time was in 83 that you called him in to do oh, that. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but it, uh, let's back up a little bit more. You go into 81. Now, you were the guy the primarily, primarily responsible for attracting Fran Kersey to Kentucky that's back in 1970. Three. That's right, yeah. Uh, you helped Doc Singletary. Uh, you had just gone through um, John Ray, the We Believe. He had one year to go on a contract ready to open the new stadium, and he went before the board. Uh, the We Believe had grown a little bit old because the wins weren't matching the losses, and he asked the board for a two-year extension. He had one. He wanted two, and they wouldn't give it to him. Mm -hmm. So they went when looking for a coach, and you identified a guy that was at the University of Miami. That's right. And uh, a friend had called me, asked me if I had an audition. Yeah. And I, I was at a ball game with Dr. Singletary. I said, I have a fellow that I'll check him out for you, but is interested in you interviewing him as coach of Miami. And I called Bear Bryant, I swear, uh, Bob Macklin, what's the name of Nebraska? Bob Devaney mm -hmm. and uh, and Royal with University Darryl of Texas. Royal. Darryl Royal and one other one. And and got your opinion on Fran, and they all said he's a fine young coach. He's a he'd coach had he'd had three very strong years at Tampa. a lower division at Tampa. Yeah, that's right. Then he went to Miami. And I remember when you brought him up and uh, or you met him at the airport. Mm -hmm. When he was uh, being introduced before a game at the Coliseum, you gave him your overcoat. Your memory is terrific, Governor. And he wore it that night, and things went well. A great you, you hardly missed a game. I know it. Those years, 76 and 770. It's only two decent years we've had since Barbara. That's right. Absolutely. Not even close. You're, you're right. That's right. Okay. But the wheel sore fell off, yeah. and some unfortunate things were happening. And in July of 81, the story broke that uh, you were uh, bending uh, Dr. Singletary's ears. We need to move on. We need to clean up the perception of the program that it's sort of becoming a little bit of an embarrassment with the off the field things. 
And yeah, I may have well said that to him. I don't recall it, but it wouldn't have been unlike me to express yeah. my opinion. And uh, uh, the, the the stories that started to surface is that you had bumped into Singletary, or Singletary had bumped into you at the Bluegrass Field. One of you were coming in on a flight, and the other one was leaving, and y'all exchanged pleasantries, and you let him know that you still think he needs to take action. And he uh, made it. No, I saw vaguely remember something like that. Yeah. That could be true. Yeah. And he said something to the effect, well, Governor, if you got so much on the ball, he didn't use those exact words, yeah. but he said, do you think you could find somebody better? And you quickly spit it out, George Allen. And there were people standing yeah. around, one of which called me after it, and I said, well, I don't believe that. And uh, I called a good friend of mine, good friend of yours, Frank Ashley. Yeah. And he said, well, 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 well. And then he called me back later and said, yeah, you, you're right, it happened. Yeah. Uh, are you the one who broke the story? Yes. I mean, Th thanks, we, thanks to you. And we, we, and uh, we might have pulled something Frank, Frank later said, "You know what?" Says the Herald's not been too kind to Governor, and the leader had, and the Courier sure had. Why not just you let you let you break it? Yeah. And the funniest thing was though is that Doctor Hornback and Singletary thought you all were pushing it and you weren't. Yeah. And Frank sort of thought maybe Singletary was using me to shut you up which wasn't true either. No. Uh, but but anyway, it came out, and he admitted that he was interested. That was July, but he was gone Thanksgiving week after the season. Yeah. Now, getting to that point, you wanted somebody to come in that next year. Well, what happened previously, is, as I recall, and I can be wrong because you probably more on the factual part, but I was upset with – maybe keeping Fran on after he had a two and nine season, maybe two years in a row and best at three and nine. But he lost control of the players. They got in a lot of drug problems. And it happens in a lot of college, but it, it was just it didn't look like we had any future. And it's gonna to be too much of a mountain to climb. And I like Fran. But to me Kentucky football was more important. And I didn't feel like I was going back on a friend because my obligation to me as the governor then was uh, what's good for Kentucky. And uh, I think uh, I sort of laid the groundwork for Fran perhaps being released. I, I remember saying something, I had something I dialogue with Dr. Singleton, who I was very fond of, but I, I said something I shouldn't have said, like, you know, he needs a good spanking for whatever. That, that, that's a pretty accurate quote that yeah. he ought, you ought to give him a good spanking and he ought to let the governor have a good football team. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I overstate. I shouldn't have done that. All right, that was a mistake I made. But my love for Kentucky, because uh, the, the prestige you get of being a winner that we got with Rupp and we got with Joel and Kyla Perry and and what we got with Bear Bryant, you know, lives on for generations. You know, and it means so much. You see all these world soccer teams. I mean, it's their life and their credibility and their brand is made through often through sports. And I just felt very strong being a strong uh, sports advocate for all those years. And I probably shouldn't have spoke up. It wasn't a place for a governor, but I felt like doing it. And uh, I wasn't usually the politically correct one. UPI in New York uh, ran a story quoting George Allen saying he was pulling his name out, that he was interested, but given everything, he didn't want to be part of consideration anymore and it said here says uh, Brown contacted later that night at his Lexington home said quote well 
the establishment has won again. Now we can look forward to continuing the great tradition of 30 years of losing. It didn't work out well, and I accept that. I think this has created more excitement than anything since Byron Wright was at Kentucky. I hope out of all this, we made more of a hero of Fran Kersey. And then they said, Brown said jokingly, he would like to turn Singletary over my lap and spank him real good and tell him to let his governor have a football team over there, end of quote. <laughs> no, I said that in an open, I'm walking somewhere and some reporter uh, asked me a question, I just flew it off the top of my head because I knew Singletary's a friend and I said it as a friend. I didn't say it as, uh, as any kind of uh, other kind of purpose or meaning because I liked him and respected him. Now, that's mid-July. Thanksgiving week, he is told he's not coming back. They're ready to hire a new coach. You're pretty pretty frank about who you would like to see, but your bridge has sort of been burned, at least temporarily. Mm -hmm. And do you think that may have been why Howard Snellenberger was not given any more consideration than what he was? No, I talked to Cliff Hagen about it. Two years later, after uh, Jerry replaced Fran, Two years later, Howard Snellenberger won the national championship at Miami. Absolutely. Uh, uh, did, did you feel like that anything you tried to do at that point was going to fall on deaf ears because of what it happened with Fred? I didn't care. It didn't bother me, no. I wouldn't be any reason. Uh, given, given the state of things and given as things have gone along since that fateful year of 81, now we're talking about 37 years later, how do you feel about the football program in Kentucky? Well, it hadn't changed. I just wanted to have a winner, and 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 you know I've been I've been critical of our athletic director, uh, Barnhart. I mean he's done a great job. He's got honored uh, a new contract here, and and been honored by the league, and he's done some great things. But football's not his thing. I mean I didn't understand why we had Phillips on a, a wait and see, and then uh, after the coach that he followed, and we went through like five years here, not knowing six years. And, uh, you know, he's been around long enough time. It's not rocket science what it takes to build a winner. Usually you start with the coach. A coach that can attract the kind of players you want, that can get you on TV, that knows, knows how to recruit. And uh, we never did look for the very best. I mean, maybe Bill Parcells, if you got him, yes, something like that. What would you do today if you were either the AD or the president? I would look for the best that could relate to college players and a university. The thing about Allen wouldn't have, I was just charmed that he'd be interested, you know. He'd never been a loser. He's a workaholic, which, you know, being an entrepreneur, you respect what it takes to build a business. And uh, I just know he'd build a winner. He didn't fit in the college atmosphere. I could accept that. But I was all charmed he'd be interested, and I just started a little dialogue. As much as it's so interesting, and gee, if we got somebody like that, he could get us the kind of players that want to go into pros and all that. That's before that was sort of recognized as a way to attract players. And, uh, and I know him, and he's a derby and a very charming guy. Seemed like a nice guy. And uh, I, I regret having getting involved because that wasn't my place to because he wasn't necessarily the right man for the job, but I think he had a winner. He went out to Long Beach or something, took a team that was 2-11 or something and made winners out of them next year. But I think he just looked for the kind of player that can recruit. If you'd like to get one, that had name recognition, it would be helpful. 
not essential. You see what the guy, what the Michigan, uh, East Michigan State that went to, to Minnesota, he looks like the kind of guy that's going to be a winner, whether he can or not. You know, a lot of them are good salesmen. A lot of them are great motivators. A lot of them fall flat because it's a tough deal. But I just don't think we've ever really looked to get the very best because it may be risky. And uh, it's an educational institution, and they don't want to take any chances. And you look back at the decision we made. Now, truth about the matter is, Hal Mummy probably had a chance to build a heck of a program. Now, I never believe he did anything wrong, and I knew Hal. In fact, I advised him against Affy. If you didn't do anything, don't you admit to a damn thing. Because they were trying to cut his contract, and they didn't. They honored up to it, and nothing's come out since. And he's been recognized as the best offensive coach in all of college football. I mean, it must be 25 teams that followed his message. And then Coach Leach out there, I don't know. He's been a little bit nervous for him. <laughs> but I would like to think over 60 years we could have found somebody who could have lifted our program and compete. I know you have a lot of discouraging elements, but we all do in life, you know. And the Colonel did, and Ali did, and you did, and Hazard. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, you got to reach outside the box. That's what entrepreneurs are for. And uh, I would like to have seen a skill entrepreneur that had the kind of offense that would attract a crowd. I think CM and I was upset with him. It's not, not upset because he was a friend, but uh, upset that he didn't hire Stunnenberger because he, he took mummy over Stunnenberger, and Stunnenberger was – my age is 61. I thought he was still young enough to coach. And, uh, but apparently they thought he was too old. But Stellenberger would have built us a winner here. And, uh, and, and without question. I mean, he had the organizational, he had the confidence, he had the aura, and he had the credibility. So, Claiborne Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the uh, two years after that, uh, Jerry Claiborne comes in, takes teams to back-to-back bowls. Does pretty good, but then it levels off. And then it continues. But in 1983, Kentucky and Loyola basketball meet each other in Knoxville, Tennessee, for the first dream game since Loyola beat Kentucky NCAA back, I think. They almost played in San Diego, if you remember. That's right. Terry Howard missed his only free throws of his senior year. That's right. Unbelievable. Or they beat John Wood. I was so upset coming out of that arena. I just couldn't. Both teams. Yeah. I mean, Louisville got beat by the last shot with, what, five seconds left or whatever? Well, actually, actually, he missed the two free throws. He made the two free throws, they win. They were down. They were down. Well, Kentucky had a close one. Well, now, Kentucky beat Syracuse pretty good, but they lost to UCLA in a championship. And it was close. Yeah. Uh, so they play. So they play in Knoxville, and now the time you were talking about two weeks after that is when the board is getting ready to meet, and the issue of Kentucky and Lowell was red hot then about not playing, and that's when you had the discussion with Bill Sturgill about playing the game. I well, you're better on history. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was immediately after well, the game. Unfortunately, my most famous moment as governor, I was so proud the kind of people we brought and what we accomplished in four years of non-political, non-scandal government, productive government, that the greatest thing I've known for was wearing that red and blue coat to the ball game in Knoxville. <laughs> Four people recognized me. Oh, yeah, I remember you. You wore that red and blue coat. And um, so, but I didn't know that the timing was that close. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, a few things that happened 
during your era in governor, I know a good friend of mine, a good friend of yours, Bill Olson, yeah. who was athletic director at the time at Lowell. He told me a few years ago on lunch we had that had it not been for you being governor from 79 to 83, Louisville Athletics Department may have shut down. He said, when you got to be governor, you called him, said, Bill, can I help you? And uh, he said, yes, and you told him, well, write down some things I can do for you. And he come and met with you, and he said, we need Freedom Hall fixed up. We need Cardinal Stadium fixed up because that's where they played their football yeah. games. And you put into uh, motion to lower the floor in Freedom Hall, put some suites in, and redo the stadium. And he said, I'll be serious with you. He said, I don't know we would have made it if he hadn't done that. Well, so what, would, would you would you? Cons- I thought we got so many great Kentucky stories. How that all happened yes. was, and that's probably true, I talked to Bill. But I'm going to the celebration when they won, what, the 83 tournament, or 82, 81, when Louisville won. 80. Was it 80? 80 and 86. That right. was our two well, titles. Well, it was in 80. Yeah. And I went to celebrate, and they had Freedom Hall packed with 18,000, 19,000 people. And I'm wondering, what am I going to say? I always liked to have a sense of humor. And so it was in my mind, I guess, to build whatever, this old dilapidated Freedom Hall. It's a, it's a cow hall, you know, for cattle or horses. And so I got up my first statement, and I said, what are we doing meeting in this old gymnasium? not thinking that I'm going to get stuck for doing something about it, right? <laughs> and then later, before I went out of office, uh, I, I worked adamantly on getting a, an engineer, uh, Max Ladd from Paducah, and he took two tries at trying to accomplish it. And they were talking about building a downtown arena for $175 million at Harvey Sloan. That's where they're going to get the money. And we rebuilt Freedom Hall for $11.6 million. And Denny Crum said it was the finest arena in America at that time. And how Max Latt did it, I don't know, but the third time I just had my heart attack in the hospital, I said, Max, you got to do one more. I mean, I know you failed twice. I don't accept that. You know, you got to get it done. <laughs> Somewhere or other, he went back and figured it out and worked out magnificently. And so to that degree, I give Max Latt the credit. But uh, I've always wanted to support UofL because it's an important part of Kentucky. Freedom Hall is known far and wide as one of the greatest college basketball venues of all That's time. Right, yeah. um, had, had some championships there. Yeah. Kentucky's 58 title. Right. Never had to leave the state of Kentucky to win it. Two games in Lexington, two in Louisville. And for years and years, which I miss today, by the way, Kentucky always played two marquee games at Freedom Hall. Mm-hmm. And it usually rotated long before they played Louisville it was usually Kansas, Indiana, Notre Dame, and North Carolina. And fans would actually pack it the day before in a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many of the old-timers I see today, not just Kentucky players, but Louisville, Indiana, mm-hmm. say there's never been a re- better arena to shoot in than Freedom Hall. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I remember probably the greatest – College team ever was the old Ohio State team. Remember with Lucas and Havlicek, and and I think they won the championship what 59 or or 60, and they played it at Freedom Hall. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I'm a big uh, proponent for what Jim Host did with the downtown Yums Arena. Okay, and uh, he worked. 
probably, I don't know of any outsider of the community. But wasn't more. that a financial disaster for no, the state? No, it's still alive. It's still, but it's worth the investment because it gives something downtown to make Louisville a big, a big class city. You got a mayor over there that happened to be the son of my secretary of the cabinet, George Fisher, my great Fisher. It's very progressive. And, and Louisville is really the economic engine of our state. I mean, that's where the money is. That's where most of the development is. And uh, it's an important part of Kentucky. And I think the, I think the downtown Yum Center is a major investment that needed to be made. And what do you think about the recent scandal involving uh, the administrators of the U of L Foundation, the U of L, and, and the KFC Center almost went broke. The uh, Commonwealth Kentucky's had to extend their TIF funding, which is really tax revenue geared like toward that. the fund. I, I think what happened. Uh, it's very regrettable. I think it, they had so much power and control that it became almost like operating a country club. And uh, George Fisher, who was former chairman of the board and my longtime friend, uh, we've said it for maybe 10 years that uh, that something's going to happen that's not going to be pleasant because we're doing too many freelance things. I mean, the government cannot, cannot operate things as you ran an off-road business or perhaps as I did. And uh, I regret it for Jim Ramsey because he was my, worked in my administration and very talented, did a lot of good things for U of L. And uh, are you surprised there's not been criminal indictments from that? Well, who knows? I mean, you know, sometimes it takes years to do those things. Whatever happens, happens, you know. And uh, I don't want to cast any aspersions. Uh, I don't know about the athletic director. I don't know whether it was premature, out of emotion, or or image that they fired Patino. I don't, I don't know enough about the law and haven't studied it to know what would have been the wise thing. I think they had to do something with Patino. But uh, be sitting there with, I regret that he was given a five-year extension uh, when his contract didn't run out until he was 69 years old and had four years left. Put another five years on until he was in his 70s, two or three. I thought that was irresponsible. I do think the athletic director was an incredible talent and productive. Now, I don't know enough there to give an opinion other than he knew how to build winners. And whether he did anything wrong or, or unethical or dishonest, I, nothing's been shown to me so far. I don't go far. Being in politics, I don't take rumors for a whole lot. I like to know the real facts, you know. Uh, but it's regretful U of L because U of L is the heartbeat of Louisville. So I hope they come out of it. I do think Greg, uh, Grissom is an independent kind of person that will try to do and will do the right thing, however uh, harmful, however painful it might be. Speaking of politics as it relates to that, I think most people agree that if Matt Bevin had not abolished that board, that none of this would have came about. Could that be his legacy at the end of four years? Uh, he's created his own legacy every other week, you know. Uh, I wanted to like him. He is a talented guy. A lot of good ideas, but he's he's gotten uh, gotten a little bit too independent the way he, he speaks of other people. Did, Whether did, I, I might have been the same. I did something similar at Murray, because they got in a fight down there for years, and they had different sides hating each other, going back to families. And I I think I asked him to retire and get off the board. I didn't abolish it, but I did. I want to do the same thing. Uh, whether I would have done it or not, I don't know. I don't know all the circumstances. But something needed to be changed at Louisville. 
you don't need necessarily to blame it on the board, but that's where you start if you're going to create a whole new structure of thinking. You've just listened to episode 66 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, Governor John Y. Brown. The Big O has more with the governor, and that will be episode 67 of Conversations, and that will include his opinions and thoughts on the former governors of Kentucky and the basketball coaches and administrators at the University of Kentucky. If you missed part one with Oscar and Governor Brown, you can go back and listen to episode 65 at oscarcombs.com. Conversations is available through both the Google Play Store and iTunes, and it's free to subscribe. Search for at Wildcat News, hit subscribe, and you will have access to all of Oscar's conversations absolutely free. For more with the Big O, follow him on Twitter. He's at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and I thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.